Uh, Eric, welcome to Injury Time. Uh, it's been a long time uh, after catching you all the times in the mix zone, in good moods and bad <laughs> moods and in different ones. Uh, we are here again. Uh, how are yep. you? Great, mate. Great to see you. And uh, yeah, we're still doing this these Zoom Zoom calls, but um, you know, hopefully, we can do an interview in person again soon. But you know, I'm on the other side of the camera now, so um, maybe I should be interviewing you, mate. I am always up for uh, pointers huh, if you want. But, uh, <laughs> but to be fair, like uh, you've been, I really enjoyed uh, the commentary and the punditry that you were doing. Uh, you and Pratt make a good pair. Uh, so how has this experience been uh, changing from on the field to off the field? Yeah, thanks, mate. It's um, yeah something I didn't really envision, to be honest. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be playing for at least another season with with uh, with BFC, but that didn't work out that way. And I was just very, very lucky that, you know, the day after that um, we'd come to an agreement with BFC that I had a call from, from Star Sports. And, you know, I'd worked with them previously on a few things. Um, the Intercontinental Cup, I think I did a, a World Cup qualifier for India. So I, I'd done a little bit of, of TV work um, in the country before and I kind of knew that I was going to lead into that later on in my career. I didn't expect it so soon. Um, and yeah, to be quite honest, I was thinking about doing it for a couple of months and then jumping into another opportunity football wise, but nothing, um, nothing that I was interested in presented itself, uh, over the course. But yeah, doing the, the, the TV was, it was a breath of fresh air, to be honest. Um, yeah, working with lots of Pratt and Mace and, you know, established, um, commentators like Pascalides and, you know, Mark Tompkins, Palasta, these guys. Uh, Anand Tiagi, I'm, I'm missing a lot of people, but they're just guys that you can, guys and girls that you can, you can learn off, you know, Koreani and people like that have been in the business for so long. Um, so I was a newbie, you know, going into this new environment of mine and, you know, being in the bubble has its challenges. Uh, I think everybody knows how difficult that was for the players for the last two years, but even, you know, going across to the TV side and seeing, um, how much work goes in behind the scenes, you know, your, your, your cameraman, your, your producers, your sound technicians, you know, your presenters, everybody was under the same flag. And um, you don't just go to work together, you live together for those five months. So um, I learned a lot about the trade and I think, you know, just really, really enjoyed the experience. Going in, when I saw you, I was like, yeah, he's going to be fine because uh, I'll tell you why. Because all the times yeah. that I've stopped you and asked you questions in the mix zone, I knew that, you know, there are some people who will be able to give very succinct and proper answers. I knew you would talk uh, and give <laughs> some details. And I've used those quotes to further certain other stories also. When you wrote about Suresh, yep. you told me a long time ago about Suresh and how you... That's right. And, you know. So uh, you and Seran were my go-to guys for a long time. Yeah, Saran, yeah, yeah. Although he struggled a little bit with English, he was still uh, quite open and honest and uh, very opinionated. So... I knew you were going to be fine. So uh, it seemed like you had you had a good time as well. Huh? Yeah, it was. I think you know. I think on the on the back of thinking of you know how how I made the transition so easy was probably because oh, well, number one, I speak English, and um, that obviously helps a lot of things. Um, you know, coming into India, everyone obviously the the, the, the channel is mostly in English. Um, but then you know when I look back on my my career had a lot of media training as a kid. You know, in Australia, we're very lucky that when you come through a football program or you get into a first-team environment, it's not just 
go and kick the ball around. It's all the off the field stuff, nutrition, um, you know, financial advice, but media training is, is a, is a massive part of that. But I feel also with media training, you can become very sterile. You can lose your personality. And I can see a lot of that back home. Um, when I watch players that get interviewed after games or on the TV, just very, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying I have any personality whatsoever, but I think you have to bring your own, uh, your own kind of spin on it. And, um, that's the challenge I have to, you know, overcome is not to sound too robotic. And so there's, there's a lot of nice things that I, I like about that. Um, you know, after games, you know, you'd ask me questions and it would be, you know, pretty straightforward answers and you have to be quite diplomatic as a player. You can't give too much away about how you're feeling. You know, you can't say that, oh, the coach has done this wrong or I felt as though the coach could have done that. Whereas as an expert or as a commentator, um, you have to react very quickly and you have to be very honest in your assessment. And if that means hurting somebody's feelings or it means um, putting somebody, you know, in the trenches, you've got to do that because that's what the audience requires. And uh, I think I've got that in me to be very honest and straight down the line. And you don't do that just by being able to say that. I think people would respect my opinion for what I've done in the sport, not just in India, but other parts of the world. So th- th- there's a little bit more of a background where you have to feel confident and able to, you know, to ask a coach a question or to tell a player he's not played well. Um, that's never an easy thing, but it's it's something that I'm learning and I'm enjoying. And you're absolutely right. Even as a journalist, when you ask questions, you get these straight-powered cookie-cutter answers. Mm. Uh, we played well, uh, it didn't work our way, or the, uh, you know, all these kind of head movements. Yeah. That's the worst, because you get nothing out of it, right? So nothing. Uh, nothing. anybody comes and says, uh, we could have played better, at least that is fine. Yeah, but most of the time it's like, uh, we tried, they tried, it's football, it's game. It does not work. The game of two halves. Oh yeah, <laughs> so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, you, you try and get, you try and steer away from them, to be honest. But um, the the good thing about working with the with with Star Sports and you know the guys on there, you know, th- there's always a bit of camaraderie and uh, you know a bit of banter as well. So you know we, we could be talking in the games or you know doing an analysis and you know to make it more interesting, try and put keywords in there that people are asking you to put in just for a bit of banter. And it's yeah. It's not stupid. It's not like um, irrelevant information, but you've got to keep it fresh. And I think that's the nice thing about learning the trade. It's not, you know, you, when you're a player, I, I, you know, I press the I press the mute button and, and watch the game from an analy- analytical point of view for my performance. Um, or at halftime or full time, if you're playing, if it's your game, you're never listening to them because criticism from TV people is either, you know. I, I'd like to. I'd like to think after being on that side, I respect you know what I would say. But as a player, I don't think you can listen to to TV people. You can't listen to media. You can't read newspapers. You can't go on Twitter after a game. I think um, you know you only take feedback from your coaches, possibly your family, your your, your loved ones, um, and yourself. You know when you're not played well or you have played well. And this day and age, we know that social media has such a big impact. And I think. People are losing themselves um, a little bit with 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 you know how to handle social media and what it actually means in terms of feedback because it's not it's not uh, you know to put a photo on Instagram after you've played well that's easy for everyone to do you know go and miss a penalty twice in a game and then put a post out and say something you know people 
it's a very um, heavily weighted, sided um, feedback tool, I think, social media. So from my point of view, jumping from this side now, um, it's great to be able to give information, but I, I do wonder, you know, how much are the players listening and how much, how much are the coaches listening? But then you get some reactions in the post-match interviews and you know, okay, the coach is listening to what I'm saying, you know? <laughs> yeah, it happens uh, to us. I think because you guys are so uh, eloquent and well-spoken, I think you guys are going to run us out of a job soon. You know, no, 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 no. Because uh, you no. ask all the right questions. Because I thought this year, especially you, all of you, Darren and Brad and yourself, Miss, all of you asked really, really important questions, which we couldn't ask because, you know, bubble and whatnot. Yeah. Maybe next season when it's back to home and away, we can do that again. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, you guys don't run us out of business and we can continue. To- oh, no. No way, mate. And I, and I think, you know, that's so important. I knew as a player going through the mix zone after a game, um, it's something that you look forward to because you, as a player, want to be important. You want to be a, a, a focal point for, for a team. You want to be the guy that walks out of the dressing room, win, lose or draw, and you're able to verbalise what's just taken place. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that bad. You know, like when I – we played the, 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 my last season with BFC and we were struggling um, – and I learned this now from being on the other on the other side. There's not a lot of English speaking people um, that that can speak well enough. I mean, for, for interviews, they they do tend to choose people that are you know able to handle themselves in front of the camera. But when we started to lose a lot of games, um, the buck was passed too much to me. Um, people like Guprit and Sunil weren't doing enough media when the top when the going got tough. And I can say that openly. I know that for a fact because his media team, you know, Kunal and those guys are trying to protect them from the backlash. And that's part of their job to, you know, get paid to do that. And that's not a, that's not a slight on them. And, you know, they, they will probably be upset me saying that, but that's not, that's not what I'm here to say. I think that season I was put in front of the camera so much. And then you associate bad form, bad luck, bad results with that one person. So. I love that. I love the opportunity to speak. Um, but at the same time, there needs to be a little bit of smarts with that because if you are the guy you see all the time and they're doing well, oh, they're doing well. He's the main reason. He, you can hear what he's saying, see what his, his mood's like. Um, but if you're not doing well and they keep choosing you to talk, then you're, then you're branded, you know, by the owners, by the fans as, oh, there's Eric again. He's the reason. Oh, he's talking again. Oh, they're not doing. Why is he talking? So there's a lot of things to think about. You don't realize that until you get into the media side when you see the same people getting interviewed all the time and you go, mm, maybe they're using that guy a little bit too much. And you and then now I even now I'm associating that with good and bad results, you know? Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to ask you this. We'll get to the BFC stuff. Uh, but before that, your transition to a pundit. You had to make some tough uh, judgments and calls and comments on certain players from across the team. Right? Because you're watching and you owe it to the fans, you owe it to people who are watching to give your honest opinion on what's happened. And like you said, you've earned it, you've played in so many different countries and stuff. So uh, how was that uh, that transition? Like for you to say this, knowing that most of these players you've known, you've played against them or you played with them. Uh, how was that transition? Well, first and foremost, you never bag bad mouth Sunil Chetty. 
Petri. That's the first golden rule. You can't you can't badmouth Sunil. <laughs> no, but you know, I I think you know, it, I found it very easy to give feedback or criticism to the BFC players, and I know for a fact the club would have taken that as sour grapes from my behalf. But to be honest, it was me being more comfortable knowing that if the players did hear me speak about it or heard me commentate, they would respect it or understand it a little bit more because I played with them. I know they're better. I know they're more capable of that. Or I know that they've done well. Um, and I think if you watch the progression of my commentary and my, um, my analysis, I was never really negative about the players. I was never really negative about individuals. I was always quite complimentary um, or I was looking at it still from a player's point of view. I'll, I'll use Suresh as an example. Um, I know he didn't have a good season. Um, I know that he is capable of more. And why do I think that's the case? Well, I played alongside with him. Me and Dimas certainly brought him into the environment, made him comfortable and gave him the ball at the right times, communicated to him at the right times. I didn't see that this year. I saw a midfield that was disjointed. Um, I saw a midfield that gave him the ball in the wrong areas. And I saw him playing in a position that he just re looked really uncomfortable. Um, and that's just one example. But if Suresh ever listens to this interview, I know he can handle that criticism. He will agree with me because he knows the people he had alongside him and the people he had alongside him this year. But that's also now his challenge to be uh, a more mature footballer and say, why am I not getting the ball in the right positions? Why am I getting caught in possession? Why am I not making more assists and, and scoring goals? He, he's got the ability to turn that around and, you know, flip it on that side and, and, and go, right, I'll take whatever this is that's going on. I'll find a solution to that. Some players don't have that ability. And they're the ones that if you don't hear commentators talking about or if you don't hear analysts talking about, you know you don't care about them, you know they're not important or you know that they haven't got them in, got it in them to, to be a better player. And I hated hearing that as a, as a footballer. Even back home, I had a commentator that used to slam me all the time. It was like, you know, I'd make 100 passes a game. I'd have that Edu Betty role where I'd, you know, never lose the ball and we'd, we'd kill every team. We, we won the league twice in a row with Brisbane Rock. But there's one guy that just could never give me a compliment. And it was every time if I made a mistake, it was like, bang, straight on me, bang, straight on me. And in the end, um, I think I approached him or my, my dad approached him or something online. And he just said something really quickly back. And it was like, I love Eric as a player. He's one of the best in the league, but I know he can be better. And I know he can handle the criticism and I want him to be a better player. And when I heard that, it made me feel better. I was like, oh, so it's not a personal attack. Um, and he was also an ex-player talking like that. So it's kind of like, why is he being so harsh on me? But you have to know and pick who you can and who you can't talk about. Um, and with the BFC thing, I think I was more concerned about the direction of the club, given that myself, Wanan, Cabra, and a few others were pushed aside to rebuild. And, um, you know, that rebuild did not go well, the first 10 games. They were on 10 points. They were playing terribly. Sunil out of form, um, players out of form. It, it just looked as though, because I'd been in that environment, I knew what Marco was capable. I knew what 
the training was like, I knew what ideas he had. And he said, I sat in hotel rooms with him for hours looking on the computer for players and trying to help him out. And in the end, um, football, the way it goes, if you get moved aside, that's fine. But I think I definitely found it easier to talk or criticize about BFC or be complimentary to BFC because I'd been there, done that, knew that people could handle it. Um, and, you know, we never really got any, any, any negative feedback. Other teams, other coaches, um, I think you take it kind of personally if you can see where a club was and where a club is. Um, you know, the ones that you know are down the bottom, like an East Bengal or a, you know, Chennai that was struggling. Um, you almost run out of things to say because you're just like, where, where, where do they make this improvement? And you maybe see the quality they have on the pitch and you can't be so negative because there's not much else to say. People that watch football aren't stupid. You can't sugarcoat things. Like if the ball goes out three times off of a player instead of making a pass, you can't say, oh, that's just unlucky. Oh, that's just unlucky. You've got to, you've got to say, you've got to say what it is. And that's very difficult because as a player, you, um, you strategize it and you go, why did he do that? Maybe, maybe it bounced or maybe it slipped or, and the second time it happens, you're like, no, that can't happen. But as a commentator, you need to just call it how it is, uh, every single time. So that was the challenge. So, sticking to this commentary role again, I just wanted to ask about, uh, now you've played with a lot of these Indian players, you are uh, now watching a lot of Indian, you've been here for what, five years, six years? Five years, yeah, five, five years. Yeah. So that's a long time for you to get to know the environment. So there's a lot of uh, talk about the second season syndrome, like someone comes, they do really well, because you're in India, most likely you'll break into the national team because our talent pool is sort of a revolving sort of a talent pool. And then they lose the form. So, from your you having played so much and being in clubs and teams, what is this uh, second season syndrome? Can you put your finger on what happened? Yeah. Are you talking about players or coaches or clubs in general or? Uh, players, but uh, yeah, there are. I mean, you can possibly extend that to coaches and clubs as well in the long run. I just think in football, as we all know, with coaches and players. Um, you know, the more time they're given, you know, generally speaking, they're going to feel more comfortable in their environment. They're going to feel, you know, their ability to perform is better because they're more comfortable in their environment. But then there comes a point where teams and clubs um, don't have any more room to move. So, for example, this year with FC Goa, I think we saw that, you know, FC Goa is the, the team that everyone loves to watch. Um, the season before that, BFC, I would say that was us. You know, we maybe got an aging team that definitely needed rejuvenating, no doubt about it. Um, could it have been handled a different way? Yes. With FC Goa, they will need to, you know, revamp that squad completely. Um, but when it comes to second year syndrome, I think if, if coaches are given time, um, it's, it's shown in this league that they're going to be better the next season. I mean, um, there's talk of, you know, the possibility of Marco not even extending or being kept on for this season. So as much as I um, was disappointed to leave and with whatever happened, I'll, I'll never know the full truth. Um, but I'll, I, I don't see how that's progression to, to, to get rid of a coach um, in a rebuilding phase who did finish a place higher than before. 
So you look, you've only got to look at Owen Coyle. You've only got to look at Manolo Marquez as the two biggest, um, you know, examples of that. And, you know, was, was Owen Coyle really, you know, helping Indian football? Was he really bringing young players to the fore? Was he really changing the way that the game is played here? Probably not. But he played a way that got results. Um, he knows how to coach players. He knows how to um, manage personalities. And sometimes that's hard, that's all that's all it, all it takes. But players, when it comes to second year syndrome, um, if you particularly if you've got a two year contract, you'd always expect okay, your first year might be okay, but your second season, if you're out of contracts, that player is going to play through the roof. They're going to play out their skin to try and get another contract. Um, and in general, general terms, Sandy, like in the Indian Super League, I used to know that if I was coming off contract and the season starts in November, you have to play six or seven games before January. If you start well, by January, you can sign for another team for next season. So that that's also a problem Indian football has is that players – can get into a false sense of security once they play um, and get to January and they sign a new contract and they, they take their foot off the pedal a little bit. That's just, that's just human nature. Um, I had that at BFC after I missed the final. I came back um, and scored them against Chennai and had a great performance. The game after that, that was round four. They had already offered me a new contract extension um, for two years Um that was at the start of the season. So I, but I turned that down because I, because, you know, one, one thing or another. And in the end, I got to the end of the season and I waited the whole, the whole season. And it also made me play a little bit differently because I knew I had this offer from BFC that was two years. Um, the conditions were the same. And I felt as though that this is going to be my last chance to make more money and, you know, to, to, to try and win trophies. Were we going to win a trophy under Carlos or, you know, the, the squad that he was able to, you know, put together. And that season when we finished third and we lost to uh, ATK in the semifinal, he worked absolute miracles to get us to that that semifinal. Uh, we had no right. We, we played with without a striker for so long. Um, weren't, we hardly scored any goals. We, we kept a lot of clean sheets. And defensively, we were great. Um, so I'm getting off topic now. But, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, players – it's really nice to see players that back themselves. You know, players that are playing well will know, I'm going to get signed at the end of the year by someone. There's talks, there's talks, there's offers, there's this, there's that. The ones that can hold their nerve and push that aside and get to the end of the season and then make that decision. But you risk doing your ACL, you risk breaking your leg, and then what happens? You don't have a contract, you don't get paid, and you maybe don't play again. So it's a very fine line, but second-year syndrome – I, I don't think happens a lot with players, but certainly with coaches. And I'd love to see, um, you know, when promotion relegation comes in, it's a different ball game. But right now, you know, if you're a, a, a club that's um, finishing last, you know, anything below seventh, you could probably say that you need to rebuild unless they've had a strong finish to the season. But teams like BFC, um, you know, now now they're going to go with Carlos Pena at FC Goal. That's going to be a very interesting appointment. Will they give him time? A very young coach. Um, but I, I'd, I'd hate to see BFC just um, 
again, from the ownership and the leadership of the club, just knee-jerking into saying, well, you know, it didn't work out the way we wanted. But, the, the, you know, they've blown up the whole squad. They've signed players with that manager. Um, and it hasn't happened. But if it does happen, I'll be very disappointed because you need to give give someone like him a, a, another year. And um, you've got so many young players in there that have had a good season. Can they now, now do it in front of fans? Can they now do it knowing that I'm an ISL player, like Roshan, Parag, um, Butia, all these young players that are coming through? Um, they'll also get a boost from that. You know, even the foreigners will get a boost. You know, Ramirez, um, steady away number six. But in the second year, he'll feel so comfortable and also playing at Cantira. It's like, man, what a boost. So I think it's only going to be more positive, particularly for BFC. Everyone had that second year syndrome and see see where it takes them. And then you look at the Indian players again. You've been here five. The off-season is longer than the season sometimes. How difficult yep. is it uh, for anybody to maintain levels, to improve levels? Um, or you, even foreigners, like you, you come here, you play for five months, and then I'm, I've seen leaders of your training back in Australia and stuff, but still, if you're not playing with the team, it doesn't really uh, help anybody, right? It's torture. Absolutely torture, Sandeep. So, like, for me personally, um, I'm always a very honest guy with, with my work. Um, and, you know, for those four seasons I played at BFC, the first year I think we had eight weeks off and came back for the AFC Cup. That was great. The second year, I'm pretty sure we had another AFC Cup in that, in that preseason, which allowed us to come back after a couple of months, which wasn't too bad. The third and the fourth season, I'm sure the third season we had, uh, you know, we had something like five or six months off. And then last year with COVID, the year before, sorry, it was seven months. And, you know, players, uh, and I've, I've heard coaches come out in the media talking about this, players in general, um, you know, you need to be playing for 10 months of the year. When I was playing in Scotland as a, you know, first started of my career when I was 20, 19 and 20, went across there, playing 45 games a year. You're playing Saturday, Tuesday. You're not training a lot, you, you, but you're training every day. Um, you play 45 games a year, man. So in the space of uh, three or four years, you're playing 120, 150 games in your career. Some of these boys in the ISL won't get to 150 games in their whole ISL career. Um, so the league itself has identified this. It doesn't seem as though they're going to extend or expand this year, which is disappointing. Um, but I understand the, the challenges in the country with timings with the rain and the cricket and all that. I understand that. Um, but to, to, to go back to your point, if exactly what you said, if you're not playing with a team, you're not getting better. So as players that are not in the national team, and that's great that Igor's picked 41 people to go and train. Great. What about the other 150 players they've got? These guys are, are sitting, running on roads, um, training on artificial or doing nothing, sitting sit on the beach and doing the wrong things. But um, that's where, you know, I've been speaking with, with Pratt a lot about this is to try and, you know, engage and in getting into the market in, in terms of doing, a, a you know, some sort of training for these players, like getting in um, some sort of academy for off-season or at least just before you start in pre-season to come in and do a bit of work because I, I personally would train 
way too much um, when I was back home. And even that still wasn't enough because I, in the end, I look at it as a fail, a failure because the season we had when that was my last season during COVID, um, it reflected that I wasn't good enough, but I know how hard I worked in those seven months. I mean, I was paying a personal trainer for training me four days a week. That was, you know, two in the gym, two in the pitch. I was doing F45, which is a functional, you know, workout. I was going for long distance runs. I was doing sprint training. I was doing, you know, every day of the week I could be doing a session um, and I would actually periodize it where, you know, I'd learn a bit of sports science in my time. I knew I was going to have, you know, five, at least five months off. I didn't expect seven. And, you know, for six, I'd do six-week blocks and it would be Monday to Friday and you write the schedule, what you have to do, this, this, this. It's a hard week. It's an easy week. It's going to be a hard week, whatever. And then to keep it fresh, this is where people go wrong as well. You need time off. So you're going to train for four to six weeks where you're, you know, you're committed and you're not going out on the, on the drink every every day. You, you know, maybe you do that once a week or something just to try and freshen yourself up. But, um, you know, every four to six weeks, you, you've got to take five or six days off and just do nothing and get your head away from it. Because then you, you, you were training on the pitch with, by yourself or with a team, which is also very difficult contractually to actually train with a team. So I literally come back to pre-season. I'm, I'm talking foreigners, foreigners more so than the Indian boys. And what I noticed the difference between that was the foreign boys would come back overweight or out of touch and haven't really tried to better themselves as footballers. That's changed now. You look at guys like Bardo Becce, still playing at his age. Thierry always somehow comes back and never looks like he's out of shape. Um, but the foreigners, like in my experience, would do the bare minimum, absolute bare minimum. Um, say they're at 11% body fat, they'd come back at 15 and eventually get it down to 12 before the season started and then maybe get down to 11. But the Indian boys, to be fair to the Indian boys, um, only one or two would come back out of shape um, and they were most of the guys who weren't playing um, regularly. And, and, you ha- and you, when you're not playing regularly, you've got to work harder in off-season, man. You've got to go and do extra. But um, the Indian boys, when I noticed, had more overuse injuries because they didn't have the real facilities to train. Um, you know, I, I'll use uh, Raul Becke and, and Nishu Kumar as examples. And um, you've got, you know, Nishu Kumar, part of the reason why he hasn't played the last couple of years is because he did too much training in, in, in an off-season and I had an overuse injury. And the same with uh, Raul Becke one off-season, just doing too many road runs and came back with problems. Guprit Singh Sandhu came to Australia, was training with me all the time, going and doing too much in the gym and he heard he heard his knee came back undercooked for pre-season. So th- there's an education thing for the Indian boys. There's a, a base level fitness that obviously without being disrespectful, the foreigners are going to have a, a, a higher level because there's more open spaces um, to, to move around. That's, that's just the way it is. But thirdly, um, you know, I think they're, the, the, the way these guys, um, the clubs don't take enough initiative to educate players and also to give them programs. I mean, at BFC, our fitness trainer, uh, for those seven months, and I get, I, I get it, maybe he was contractually not even signed to the last minute. We didn't have a training program for, for, the, for six of those seven months. And in the last minute, 
you get an email saying, here's a, here's a training program before you come in for pre-season, train this much, do you know, three sessions, five sessions, whatever it was. Um, and that used to irritate me. So I'd, I'd blow up at the fitness trainer. I'd just text him back saying, I'm not going to do your training program. I'm, I've got my own and I'm absolutely flying. I'm 9% body fat. I've, had a, I've gone and paid money for a DEXA scan. I'm training 10 times a week. I'm playing with the team. So in my head, I came back for pre-season ready to go. Give it to me. I'm ready to show you. I'm better than last season. But some players haven't got that mentality to come back and go, I'm ready to be better the next season. It's, that's the way, it's the way you have to think. You've always got to think, I want to come back better than last year. I want to have a better season than last year. But some people turn up to pre-season and go, I'll get fit in pre-season. That's what pre-season is for. And you might get away with it for week one, week two, week three. But in week eight, when the season starts and your body gives way because it's not used to doing blocks of work, it's, it, 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 it's no coincidence that some players break down. Yeah. And also, there is this lot of hype about uh, improving Indian players. They can go abroad and play England, Australia, China, Japan. I mean, I don't really buy into this. Maybe one of the lower divisions. What is your take? You, you played in uh, multiple countries in Asia. You played in Scotland. You played in India. Yeah. So you know the levels that is needed. Yeah. Difficult to answer that question um, in terms of what league is better or the style or what it's required. Um, I, without being disrespectful, in the Indian Super League is the easiest league that I've played in. Um, and I mean that from a point of view that it's only 20 games for the uh, for, for three, out, three out of the four seasons I played. It was 18 games. And as a footballer, literally, you probably get going around six or around six or seven. You start to go, I'm not worrying about the clock anymore. I don't have to think about 90 minutes. When you get to round 10 or 11, you're in. It's just like, I feel like this is what I've always done my whole life. I don't have to think about anything. Then you might have a little dip, 17, 18, 19th round. Um, and then you might need a bit more of a rest then to pick yourself up. That's why you do pre-season like this. You just don't do pre-season here and go like that and try and start. You always go up and down in pre-season because, in the off-season, because in a season it's impossible to go like that, playing 90 minutes every week. You're going to be like this. So the ups and downs of Indian football, there's just not enough time to do that. So, you know, at some point, um, there needs to become you know, something done with 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 periodization periodization in terms of preseason for, for for teams, and I think that's why I was really disappointed with the way that you know BFC approached it that year with COVID because it was um, it was just not about turning up, putting four weeks in or six weeks in. We had only had three weeks, mind you, that season. Um, can you imagine having seven months off without a training program and three weeks? to start a season. Um, you might get someone that goes like that and around seven, unbelievable game, man of the match, what a performance. Round eight, he's great again. Round nine, boom, 10, he's injured. He's out for the season. So there's not that thought process yet in the country. And that's why we talk about bringing foreign coaches. But you don't need to bring foreign coaches to do that. You don't need to bring foreign 
Because at BFC, that was a foreign fitness trainer that had no real experience in terms of, um, you know, he'd been there for a couple of years, but he was a younger guy and whatever else. But in terms of going to other countries as a foreigner, um, you know, I'll use China as an example. If you don't get results, you're out. Um, if you don't play well, you're out. And you take that risk as a, as a foreigner. So um, you're going there as a three plus one. Maybe I'm the plus one player in the team. And, you know, if you're not performing or the team's doing poorly at the next break in the window, you're out. They'll, they'll do something to get you out or they'll pay you out or they will make you train with alone or put you in the second team. Um, and it's happened to me on more than one occasion in my career. Um, so to play in a, in a place in other countries in Asia, it's more cutthroat. And I think the respect level for the foreigners is a lot less. In India, everyone seems to be a bit more team orientated and you're a teammate and you're this. That's why it makes me upset when I see people like Jonathan, um, you know, blowing up and doing what he did. Uh, or I see people like, uh, you know, a Krasniki coming across and, you know, being the attitude that he had thinking he was, you know, God's greatest gift. You can't come to India and think you like that. You have to come with an approach that I'm here to help the team. Yes. I don't have to feel the pressure of being any better than them, any other player. But if you don't give a hundred percent, if you don't adapt or if you don't, um, at least, you know, inter- integrate with the squad, then you're not going to be liked and you're not going to be respected. And there's too many foreigners that have come uh, maybe to India thinking, I'm in China, I'm in Thailand, I'm in South Korea, and I have to be away from you guys because eventually you're going to stuff me over. And um, when we don't get results, you're going to blame me. There's a very big, ooh, like a, a, it's, it's a bit standoffish. But th- what they don't realize is that in India, you don't have that. You don't have that standoffish relationship. You're very much together with the boys. Everyone's welcoming here. And I really feel the Indian players listen. But I think what they liked even more about me when, when I played is that I listened to them. If they were giving me feedback or telling me, hey, bust your ass to be there, I'd be like, you're right. I should have been there. Sorry. Like it's, it's, it, there's a big give and take. Um, in other countries, you just don't have that. In Australia, it's different. You know, I'm not a foreigner there. It's just, um, it's a lot, it's a lot more physical. It's more demanding. Travel's more demanding. In Scotland, it's ruthless in terms of results. You could play your worst game of the season and score a header in the 90th minute, win the game. Best player on the pitch. You know, um, the same performance the week after and, and you lose, it's, you're the worst player on the pitch. So, you know, it's results based and until this country and Australia, to be quite honest, until they get this promotion relegation, we won't see a real hunger. You won't see a real um, desire for players to push themselves so much because they know they're going to have a contract next season and they're going to earn the same money or if not more. Um, and you know the players I'm talking about that are getting recycled about the league and the teams down the bottom. They're just they're players that shouldn't be playing. Um, but that's such is the nature of the, the league at the moment. Now we finally get a little bit about BSC. I... Yeah, you've been here four or five years. Uh, I've seen you around in uh, coffee shops. I know you chose to live by yourself. You didn't take the club's accommodation because you wanted to experience the culture. You really immersed yourself yep. in Bangalore in that sense. Uh, you had your own favorite, uh, what is it, tender, tender coconut water guy. Kuma, Kuma, Kuma. Yeah, so you still came in touch with him. I did when I actually came back to Bangalore. 
Mm. Um, it was probably about uh, September last year. And I went looking for him, but he'd gone home for a couple of days. And I was, I was, I was gutted I didn't see him because, yeah, they're the ones that you build relationships with. And, um, yeah, was that the question? I, I just want to start talking. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask. So it ended not on the best terms. So yeah. um, how does, what happened, if you can divulge, what happened then? And how do you feel uh, about it now? I mean, a year removed almost. Yeah, it's never going to fit with me um, nicely. I think, um, you know, for what myself and others have done for the club, um, there would be a, a different way to, to handle the situation. What I can tell you is that um, it was a footballing decision. It was never about the incident that had taken place. That was just a, a, a very good opportunity for them to move and um and and take control of a situation that wasn't really clear or honest um but in the end you know if even if that was a situation that unfolded as a player that had been there for that long you'd expect a little bit more protection or help um but that wasn't the case and obviously the the thing that happens in the in the Maldives well you know there's not much i can say about that other other than that uh what was said and what would trend to transpired was not the series of events that actually probably occurred. Um, but what I can tell you is that that's football. And um, if people or teams don't want you to be a part of their plan, they will find any which way to move you about or move you on. Um, and, as a player, all you want is honesty and to be straightforward and just to come and talk to somebody. Um, and unfortunately, I wasn't afforded that luxury. Um, you know, if I would have been still in the country, then I maybe would have been able to sit down with people, but it wasn't. It was, it, it then became a situation that got completely out of control with the lawyers. And, um, it was something that I was not willing to let my, um, not my ego is not the right word, but let my reputation be tarnished. And also, um, you know, I've always stood by my own principles my whole life and it's, it's lost me a lot of money. It's lost me contracts. It's lost me opportunities, but I'll never, never give up on my own principles. I learned that from my old man and before that, his old man. And it's something I'm proud of. I don't, I know what took place. I know what had happened. And I know um, the people that were involved, they know what happened, essentially. But in a business, you have to run it that way. And unfortunately, when, you've been, when you're with a team for so long and you give so much to them, um, there's never an easy way to end things early. Um, but I would have liked a little bit more respect and a little bit more open and, and honesty and clarity with what they wanted to do. Um, that being said... I had options to move um, during that period, which I also took upon myself to not do because I was trying to be loyal to the club that had employed me and taken care of me and given me so many great moments. Um, and at the same time, you know, the opportunity to go to another club just never really – and they were rival clubs. It wasn't just like I'm going to go and play with with – SC East Bengal. It was, you know, rival clubs. So it was, it was a little bit of that. I couldn't do that to the fans. And that sounds like a big cliche, 
but they're the only ones that I feel sorry for and the only ones I truly care about is the city of Bangalore and the people in it that have done so much for me, um, that have embraced me, that have done, you know, things off the field that you wouldn't expect at other clubs. You know, like I've been trying to get home from games in the AFC Cup and it's raining, I can't find a taxi, Uber's not coming, and I'm jumping in cars with fans on, you know, they you know, buy me beers when I'm out and things like that. So it's not, it's not, it's not bull crap. I'm not sitting there saying oh, I love the fans. I'm trying to gain something from that. It's, it's just, the, it's just the truth. Um, and so when I, when all that went down, um, there was still a possibility to move to another rival club on deadline day, and that did not transpire uh, in terms of um, a lot of a lot of moving parts, but mostly. Mostly it was playing opportunity and, and financial. It was not the same requirements. Um, so I, I, I stuck it out as long as I possibly could. Um, the team had started training and I was then isolated and, you know, I, I can't divulge into too much more than that, but I was all the people need to know is that they were training and I was being isolated and not being allowed to be around the squad, essentially. Um, and then I had a problem because I didn't have a team to go to and they wanted to obviously bring their own players in and the registration period was coming up. So they knew they had to get rid of me to get their players in and whatever the coach did. Um, and there were, there were a lot of things going on in the background, Sandy, legally, um, that I think people like the coach and the hierarchy at the club who I'd become close with um, were not being – I was not in contact with them for five or six months while this was going on. That was the most disappointing thing. And there are people that I'll never shake hands with again, um, which makes me, you know, emotional talking about that or saying that. But I won't give them the time of day because um, there was a way to do things and I get it legally and all that. They probably couldn't have. Um, and then I only really tried to make an effort after I'd agreed terms, whatever it was, to move on. Um, and I didn't really speak to the men on, uh, at then either. So it obviously hit a, a really strong chord with me how it ended. Um, and then the problem became that um, I was isolated so much and treated with the way I was treated so much that I uh, was not going to make it till, till January to find another club. And they were not willing to give me the time. So we came to an agreement to move on. Unfortunately, that meant that I was stuck between um, September and January. So you're talking three or four months. I've got to be training again, looking for another team. Who's going to be looking in India um, at that point in time? Because in January, you've got if you're a bottom dweller, you've got six games left. Um, and a player who's not played for so long and who's my age, it's very, very difficult to to find a club. And then what happened was really, really nice. It was, um, you know, a, a tough parting of ways. Uh, and then literally the next day, the TV company called me and said, well, you know, you need to come and work with us. We need to get you long-term, you know, laid out the carpet and I never looked back. But then I, I still went into that bubble thinking I was going to move in January. So I was training, you know, every day. Um, and then it just became more difficult to, to travel every day and train myself and, um the more I got involved with TV, the more I liked it. I had an option. I had three options to move in January to other countries, India. Um, I didn't take it. I, I thought that was the wrong way to go. 
Um, and obviously my levels have gone down to a level I'm not used to. And I'm okay with that. I'm turning 36 uh, in a couple of weeks. And I know that my best years are beyond me. Um, but I still felt I had at least another year or two, particularly in the ISL, to, to, to give something back. And I knew in my head this final year of my contract at BFC would be my last. Um, and I look at it as, you know, their loss. I don't look at it as, as anything else. It's their loss that I didn't play. It was their loss that one I didn't play. It was their loss that Cabra didn't play. Those two players played in the final against each other. Um, and BFC, did they do any better? You know, possibly, but they also had a coach that was there the full season. Regardless, we had a coach that was there 11 games last year with Carlos. And then they brought in, you know, Musa and Javi who weren't re- ready for the job. So, um, it's difficult, mate. It's always going to sit with me pretty uncomfortably. Uh, I don't think that the people in the club think about it anymore because it's, it's business. You move, they'll have to make a hundred of those decisions in the end to, to keep it going. Um, but at the end of the day, I love my time at BFC. Um, I love the fans. I love the place. You know, I love Bangalore. I, I, I will be coming back to Bangalore. Um, and I see my life now here in India, you know, working on the TV, getting my, I'm getting my coaching badges. So, I'm going to be involved in football in India for for a long time, I think. That's good to hear. And uh, what is the story about you jumping into fans' uh, car and going home in the rain? How often does that so happen? So, I actually, don't, no, it never happens because I don't, you know, you don't want people to know where you live. But I think the, 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 everyone kind of knew where I lived anyway by that stage because I, you know, walking around Indra Naga and people are stopping me on the street. But I, 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 I feel sorry. I, I can't remember the people that I was with. I was definitely with, um, what's her name? Varsha. I was definitely with Varsha. She was there and I'm, I'm sure a couple of her friends drove me. And then, you know, that was the one time that, you know, I would probably allow that to happen, but I was so desperate and I could see that it was pouring with rain. I was never going to get home and get a taxi. And I'm, you know, I just played 90 minutes. So I just wanted to get home. <laughs> and um, yeah, but it, it was like that, mate. And, you know, people in India, um, you know, even now in other cities I've been, if they know you, they're so respectful when they come up and speak to you. They're not in your face and like, let's get a, a photo just just for them. And um, you're generally pretty educated fans in terms of knowledge about the league. Some some places around the world that would just be, you know, get a photo because everyone else is getting a photo or go, oh, that's that guy that I, I forgot your name. Like people here... Um, you generally feel the love and, you know, I can't wait to go back to Bangalore. It's, it's awesome. Like I don't, I don't want that attention obviously, but I like, I like, you know, to go out and actually engage with fans, even when the stuff was going down with me, with BFC, to actually talk about it with people with what I could say um, and, and, and tell them that this is happening and thank you for your support. And you don't, as a football player, you don't generally have that to and fro relationship. So I think, um, I knew when I first landed at uh, in, in, in Bangalore, um, when the fans met me, that haven't even seen me play yet. There was about 30 of them there with signs and um, I'll never forget that. And that's why I wanted to be so engaging. Obviously, there's a, there's a line that you can't cross in that relationship. You have to keep things very private sometimes. Um, but now that's finished, I'm looking forward to being back in Bangalore and mixing with the, the fans again. So I'm just going to ask you a few quick questions. Uh, cool. Questions is uh, the answer is up to you. You know, quick or not. 
Carles. So how how would you look at the time with him? Because he was a coach, and uh, like Roca came in, Carles was number two, and you, there was a whole AFC run. And the next year, Roca, you guys went to the final, and you didn't win the final. He took over yeah. and won the final, but. The style of play completely changed. Everybody kept thinking BFC played possession football, but you were a lot more defensively solid and counter-attacking, and you know got really strong in different ways. Yeah. And smart with the referees also, which not a lot of teams in India. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how was Carles uh, and the time that you had with him? He's the most intelligent and diverse Spanish coach I think the league has seen. Um, I think he was able to identify within the squad what we had um, and what we didn't have. So the year that we won it, I mean, he had Jerry Zaragoza, who was an amazing assistant coach. He has to take a lot of the credit as well because those two together, strongest combo, strongest combination that's worked in this country in terms of um, training Relay, relaying that message on a daily basis in video sessions, the positivity they both had, and they bounced off each other. You need to have a one and a two in India. They've missed a trick the last couple of years by saying they need to have an Indian assistant. Mm. And I can tell you, if you want to be serious about this, fine. But the Indian assistant coach, they're not serious about this at all. It's just, it's just a, a, a thing for Indian coaches to sit there and, and watch and learn. But not many coaches engage and go, let's work together, let's sit down together. You take that session, you take that. Um, but there's not that respect level with a lot of foreign coaches. Um, so I think that season when he had Jerry, um, it was like we knew we, we'd go into games, you know, how, how many are we going to score today? It was like we had Miku, uh, myself, Dimas, uh, Saran, Wanan, um, a few others, and you and you just knew, oh, geez, we used to come out of training sessions and just go, we're going to pump this team tomorrow. You can just feel it because the training sessions were tailored in a way that here's what we had on the video, here's what you did wrong. Um, in the training sessions straight away the first day back, we're going to rectify it. We're not going to say, Eric, you did wrong. We're going to do a passing drill. We're going to do a possession drill and break it down and say, see on the video we just showed you, it sounds simple, but so many coaches don't do this. And it was like, see what you did wrong there? We're going to slowly, two seconds. Um, yeah, so so many coaches don't do that. They don't literally turn up and, uh, you know, analyze the game. They do that and they put it in a video. Some, some can verbalize it. Some can point fingers and tell you. But not many put it into practice directly and go, this is what we did well. And we'll go out in the training pitch and go, we're going to do it again because we feel it's going to work against this team this weekend again and again and again. So a lot of it was like building confidence, but the, the strategy behind that, you had great staff. And I think investment in staff is huge here. If you, if your, if your club wants to sign Roy Krishna and David Williams and spend the money they're spending, but not have a top-level physio or a top-level sports science guy or a top-level assistant coach or a top-level coach, all these things make a massive difference. And I think um, Carlos didn't struggle the third, the, the year after that. He recognised that Jerry wasn't there 
and put his own spin on what he was doing, um, but was able to go, we haven't got Miku, he's injured, or, or was he there? I can't remember. We'll have to play with Sunil. We'll have to play with the Dante here, and we'll have to play counter-attacking football. There's not many coaches, especially Spanish coaches, that go, we're keeping the ball, and then the next season go, boom, we're going to play counter-attack because this is the way we have to play. The players that we have, this is the only way we can play. Um, too many players I've seen, you know, too many coaches I've seen in, in Spain um, that have come here, they, they, they don't want to change for anyone. They're just too, um, you know, egotistical about the way that they change. But that season, he performed miracles to get us where we were. And then after that, um, you know, the, the COVID year was very difficult. I think the COVID year, he really, um, you know, didn't have a lot of tools at his, at his disposal. Um, the preseason was garbage. We had three weeks. And then you had players that, um, you know, that, that weren't really signed correctly. You know, you know, the foreign boys is one, but the, the Indian players is another thing. Um, and at times we were playing on the pitch with, with three, three foreigners, really. Um, but he's a, he, he was able to adapt. And I don't think people like Roca or even a Sergio Libera, these guys I don't think like to play a different way. They have one way and one way only. Yeah, well, I think uh, that season that you guys won, uh, that that team was strong. I'm not going to say they played the best football, yeah. but that team was strong. Like you guys had, and you know uh, what, Sandeep as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know what too. They they also identified when um, people like myself, I, I got injured and missed the final. They he straight away, Carlos, he signed Alex. Um, for the last month and a half, yeah, month and a month and a half of the season, knowing that I need someone in there to just do a simple job and get someone in now. BFC in recent years have taken too long to to manage a situation or pay someone to leave or you know the whole situation with Christian Opsted and Deshaun Brown, absolute shambles. They they got rid of the one the wrong one, and um. And in the end, we were stuck with somebody that wasn't ready for the level or couldn't perform for whatever reason. And then just decided to go, oh, well, the season is done. We'll put the kids in. We'll let Musa take the team and uh, we'll play 4-4-2 and just let the, let, let Odanta find his form. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't even a thought process then. It was just kind of like, wash our hands. We've got, we've got to think about rebuilding. Um, but the adapt, adaptation for, for you watch around the league, especially the teams that want to spend the money. It's, it's a quick decision. It's like he's injured out for the season, bang, new foreigners in or new players in, guy on loan who's not playing. I think BFC's decision-making um, became very lackadaisical in, in the last couple of years, but they don't want to spend the money. Who's the best player that you've played with? You can say one outside India and one in India, but the Indian one is the one you've Hey, foreigner um, okay. I mean, I've, I've, I played, I've played with David Villa. Um, he came to Melbourne City for four games. He was meant to be there for 10. And I'll never forget when he first arrived to Melbourne for his first training session. He literally, he played in the Champions League final three months before this. And um, he'd signed with New York City. So he put him on loan just to keep ticking over. And he's turned up with his personal trainer to, you know, warm him up and everything like that. It was something he'd never seen before. But he got a flight from New York to, to Melbourne. You can imagine how long that is. It's something like, you know, two days. And um, he's turned up for training and the gaffers obviously introduced him and everything. I mean, we know who, who he is. 
And he's, he's like, okay, David, you just did a warm-up, passing drill, and then get yourself in and get to your, your hotel or wherever you stay. And um, <laughs> he, he's come in, he's, he's, done, he's done all the work, and he's told the guy, he's like, no, I want to play the 4v4s. I want to play with the boys. And we're like, okay, this is going to get interesting. I'm sure it will be okay today. Like he's, he's jet-lagged as hell, you know? And um, the first time he gets the ball, he like gets the ball from the keeper. He goes one way, goes the other. And he tries to shoot, and I put my leg out, and I block it. And I was like, oh, I just blocked his shot. Great, he's, he's going to be tired. And then I think it wasn't to me, but somebody else the second time, he did the exact same move where he's, he's opened himself up. He's gone to shoot, and then the guys sucked him in, and David Villa, like, it, it was a goal that I've I, I never seen before. It was just kind of like a, rev, like a, a reverse whip over, over the top of the goalkeeper. You know, you know in 4v4s, they're so small, right? And this goalkeeper was tall, but somehow he whipped, he whipped this ball up and over the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper didn't even see it. He just kind of like looked at it. And we've all just turned around and just gone, oh, my God. And um, it was not that he was brilliant all the time, but it was just his timing, his weight of the pass, the sim- simple things done every single time. And then he produced some sort of technique that we didn't have, that it was just um, – you know, you, you try and do that technique and the, the, you, you might hit the ground or might hit the kick. Every time it was a little boom, top bin, top top side netting. And that's what you get at the top level. You get those players that you, you know, you have to shake your head and that's why you know that at the top level. But in India, I mean, you know, Miku, Miku was special. Um, and I spent some, we spent some time with him a couple of years and I think he comes to the point in his career where he got a little bit... You know, not complacent is the word, but he, the level was so low to what he'd been used to. And the same thing, we turned up to to Bellary for preseason, and um, we were doing a shooting drill at the end. And you know, you're always trying to work out the new signings. You're kind of like, what's this guy going to be like? I've heard a lot about him, and oh man, it was it was like a, a simple thing at the end of the training. Someone just knocking balls, and you control it and finish. And um, he scored 11, 11 in a row. And I, we were counting it because it was just like the ball, even things where you lie, he's going to control that one. He was just hitting it first time on the volley and it was flying, like flying and Gupert's in goal. It wasn't like, you know, the, the young keeper or nothing. It was Gupert in goal. And we're just sitting there just going, okay, he's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and obviously he went on to do that. And he'd have the ability to, train like absolute garbage sometimes you'd be like is he going to turn up today and then he'd get the ball and just dribble from the halfway line and somehow score a goal and take it around the keeper and he had that ability to turn it on and I don't think there's many think like, very, you know, South American about him no? the way he moves yeah yeah very South American very arrogant um, lazy very move. lazy at times he was lazy but then you know the coaches also had that 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 debate, Jerry and, and Carlos, about, you know, sometimes he looked like he was doing nothing. But if you watch he, Messi for the first five or ten minutes, he doesn't do anything either. He's, he's mapping, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he was special. I mean, in, you know, in terms of uh, Indian players, um, you know, Raul Beke, for me, is the best Indian I've played with. And you, and you only got to look at his, his record now, what he's, what he's done in the Champions League again. You know, he scored in a what Super Cup final. He scored in an ISL final. You know, the first Indian to score and in the champions. And you just watch the way he's very graceful. Um, and he's got a body that 
it looks as though hasn't been built here, and that's not being disrespectful. But you can see he has a lot of still has a lot of muscle issues, but just the way he he controls and glides with the ball, it's something you can't even be taught. I don't think he just has an ability and a confidence that um, you don't expect when you see him receive the ball. You go, I'm going to go and close him down. I'm going to get the ball, and then he just he somehow gets the ball. So as a defender, I don't think there's better than him in the country. Um, you know, you can talk about the big, the big brutes that center halves that are coming through, like you know your Homi Palms and you know your, your Sana Sings and all these guys. But for me, Raul Beke, um, hands down, because he, he produces in the big moments. You know, he, he scores goals, and that's what people remember. And um, yeah, yeah, that one obviously is the, is the, is the captain. Um, and even his little his little blip there, he still showed enough class to to do what he's doing. But he needs to be now managed, um, and I mean that with respect, by the next manager or, or Marco, they need to manage him in terms of playing in, in a system or a position that's suitable for him. You can't expect him to play out on the left and dribble people with pace at his age. Yeah. So, what about Khabra? Uh, he, he's a character. <laughs> yeah. He is. I love him. Um, he's one of the best teammates I've ever played with. Because when it's time to work, it's time to work. And when it's time to, you know, put music on the bus and dance around like an idiot, he's the first one to do it. But he, his passion is, is what, what you need. And there's not enough of that in India. There's not enough people that, you know, will grab someone at training and, you know, want to not fight people, but it's borderline that with Cabra, you know that. And um, he, he's a winner. He's a fighter. If you ask about putting someone in your father's side team in, you want him because he'll he'll fight someone for you. He'll, you know, he'll push to the last second. He'll body just fully exerted every single session and and then doing extra and then going to the gym and then, you know, doing all the right things off the pitch. And then in the games, you've got the ability to be vocal too and scream at people and intimidate people and get under the skin of other people. And um, he's, he's also got that little loose... A little bit of looseness yeah. in his game too, where he, he can lose his head. Hasn't he did it once this year? Got lucky, um, but in terms, and I was just so happy to see him move from a situation that was also not suitable to a team that he you know thrived in, and in the end dragged forward. He wasn't a guy that just turned up and was ending his career. Cabra's got you know three or four years left in him. I think before you came here, I don't know if you know this. Cabra used to be the captain in East Bengal. When they were in the idea, yeah. and he played for Chennai, and he was a center, he was a center midfielder, tough tackling. You were scared if you were playing against Kabra, he was not going to give yeah. you a second. And then he later on he moved on to the right side and became right back or wing back or whatever. Nah. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I mean, where you know, I, I, I think yeah, he, he obviously played a few games in the middle of the park, and he he does a job for for for, for just so long. But I think when you're you know, if you, even with, with Raul Becker, you can see that when he's moved all the time from the middle to the right, to the middle to the right, even to the left, it, it throws you around, you know, thinking about your position. Cabra's, he's got an engine mm. and he's got a tackle, um, but I think his best position is at right back and he, he knows that too and he's a marvellous uh, crosser of the ball. He can cross a ball. Yeah. So you mentioned five side team. That was a question I had written down. Which is your uh, yeah. side team from your time in India? 
people you played with people who uh, you didn't play with five side team if you have to and you can choose whether you play with them or not okay because i'm giving you that option so just keep it I, i i can't put myself in that um you know he 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 didn't play for long but you know john johnson for me um he, he was another byproduct of uh you know some some unfairness with what happened but he you know he took the opportunity to move um and you know to better himself and he'd already been in the country five years when i arrived and established himself as the best defender um if it was five aside i'd put him in because he, i don't know if he could run anymore so um i'd put jono in there and i'd obviously you know could have group in goals there's no question about that um oh that's two what formation am i going to play 221 or oh, is it five plus a keeper or is it just five with the keeper let's go five uh, plus the keeper okay there we go so group it's in goals um so at the back i'd obviously put jono um i don't think i'd go past some like a one arm just because they you know two guys I played with and then those two together were unstoppable when when they were together i mean the, um, the hug that you had with yonan after you won the title such a nice yeah. moment, i'd say i saw it and i was like this yeah. is a nice moment yeah it was nice prad prad got a good photo and you know it's unlike him he <laughs> takes really bad photos <laughs> um i'm trying to think in the middle of the park yeah i mean i'll, I'll go further up sunil's obviously in there He's a guy that you want in a fighter side. He never loses games. He, he's he's hungry all the way through to the end. Um you know, Miku's obviously going to be in there. Um yeah, someone like uh a, a Stuart, you know, again, killed killed the league this year. Will he be back next year? Can he do it again? All those sorts of questions, but you need a you need a creative player. I'd probably put him in. Um and you need a you need a midfielder. So yeah, difficult one because um in a five side you don't look going to put another holding midfielder in if you've got two defenders are you so um I probably put someone like a Tupper in. I like him. I like the way he moves and you know he's got that ability to to arrive late and unnoticed and you know for me he's you know a special talent. I think he's done the right thing staying yeah, at the club at, at his club. I think it's the right the right move. I'm sure he would have had more money to go to other clubs and um you know he he's he's made a very smart decision there. So that would be probably my my five or six. I like the fact that he stayed because I feel like there has to be some some talismanic players in clubs which we don't have all that much if you look at it like you look at Sunil as yeah. Mr BFC. But beyond that top yeah. ass guy who is Mr uh, Chennai and the rest of the Yes. BFC. Yeah. I don't I don't know him that well. I, I don't know him at all. I don't I don't imagine him as being a, a vocal leader, but he definitely leads by example. You watch some of his performances and he yeah, he, he runs when you don't expect him to run and you know, the players players feed off that. I've I've played under many captains that don't speak, but you watch them on the pitch and you go, "Oh man, he's going. I got to go. He's pushing to the last and I've got to go." And they they're not doing it for show. They that's just their energy. and um sometimes you got to match that energy this is the last one you have to tell me the funniest thing that has happened to you on a football field because you heard some funniest thing funny stuff yeah like habra you know what habra uh, is playing against a brazilian player i think it was a derby game uh, mohan bagani stengal 
I think. And uh, they said, you have to cabra, you have to take care of this guy. So he didn't know what to speak to him. Uh, that guy didn't know English, you know. So cabra, yes, I think, went and did this. <laughs> I'm going to break you. I'm sure it's he escaped right uh, suspension. Yeah. I mean, we're always so serious on the, on the football field, you know. But um, when I look back at the time at, at BFC, like, wasn't a lot of funny moments because they were crucial. But the one that I still can't get my head around is when Gupik was, uh, I think he, he got red carded against FC Goa for hitting someone. Mm-hmm. And um, if I would have been a neutral, I, I, I would have laughed at that because I, I, I didn't at the time. I had to run for the next 65 minutes with, with 10 men. And, um, but I remember that happening and just going, well, what? What went through your mind there? I think he picked the ball up. Was it Coro or was it um, what's the other bloke's name? Um, another Spanish boy. It was Lanzarote. there. Uh, Lanzarote. Yeah. And um, it was a nothing thing where he just kind of got bumped, and I think he went to hit him, and the ref sent him off. And I was just kind of like, like that was my second game or third game in India, I think it was. And I was like, what am I? What is going on here? Goalkeepers are hitting players and getting red cards and. Um, that for for me that was a pretty a pretty funny moment, but nothing nothing else really stood out, mate. We were pretty pretty serious. I'm sure you guys talk to each other, right? You are opponents during the game, wherever you want to be playing. It's Scotland. I'm sure in Scotland, especially, you'll be talking a lot. I'm yeah. Sure, so that's got to be some really funny stuff there. That's what I generally look at because you don't you don't have that level of banter in. In Asia, in general, it's more, it's so serious. It's, it's a lot at stake. Um, I've been in teams in, in Scotland where you've got to, you've got to pass a coin in, in the 90 minutes. You, you've got to run with a coin in your hand and you have to accept it if you receive the coin and you've played with a coin in your hand. And at the end of the game, if you're stuck with a coin, you've got to buy the first round of drinks for everyone at the pub. So literally, you're at the, the 90th minutes, but you know, you're winning two or three nil and you're running away from people. He's not sure who's got it. So you're trying to stay away from your own teammates. You see someone come close to you, you start running away. <laughs> so, um, I thought that was a brilliant one. Um, but you'd only do that if you knew like, you know, you're, you're flying or you're doing well and you wouldn't do that if it was a, a big game, obviously. Um, so that was quite fun. I mean, the, the camaraderie in the dressing room, they talk about the dressing room. Um, you know, very toxic in the UK, it must be said. Players will tell you there's a lot of things that go on that's not pleasant. But once you're accepted and you're a first-team player and you're winning, um, it's a pretty nice feeling. I, I think a lot of players, uh, when they stop playing, don't have that you know, ability to, to adapt to the next level. Hmm. So for me, that's been a nice thing. I don't miss the dressing room that much. You know? So, Derek, you've given so much of your time. And, uh... That's okay. And uh, I have to say, the next time you come to Bangalore, we are going to third day. Uh, okay. Coffee. Just, Sounds uh, good. Give me a shout out or or beer like uh, like a good brewed beer, right? Okay. No, I'll I'll be down shortly, mate. I'll uh, I'll meet you in tweet somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Otherwise, we'll see you next season as well. Hopefully, home and away, uh, people are back in the stadium. Yeah. Uh, we missed football. Yeah, let's I missed you. Um, I'm I was a little jealous that you guys were there, but at the same time, like this is not really how football is supposed to be. So I'm sure you guys are not mm-hmm. having as much fun either. 
and uh, yeah we yeah. miss that there is a disconnect between uh, fans i think uh, to an extent with most of the clubs but it was great yeah. to see people back in the final like that whole thing was yellow so uh, yeah <laughs> missing it we missing actually yeah. we watch all the local i can leagues. imagine so at least for me i can yeah. go as a local league so even there's a ground next to me like a 5 minute walk they play seven side football so yeah. uh, sometimes i go and watch there also like uh, this is good great you want to hear a funny story really good tell me talking about uh, players not getting enough time to play so uh, back in the day we had uh, up until maybe just before 90s also those these guys who would be contracted to clubs they would play the local leagues we didn't have a single national league like the isl so they would play in the mm-hmm. calcutta league and then they'll travel play the duran cup the dcm cup scissors cup rovers cup all these different different cups all over so you just travel around for that in different cities but you play a local league in maharashtra bangalore or whatever and then these yeah. guys would after that go and play all these uh, seven aside tournaments which yeah. were apparently illegal so uh, they all oh, right yeah they would play all these things and uh, they had a black book which had 50 pages i think so after every match they would get a stamp so you can't play more than these many so you had to manage the player also how many tournaments right. are there and then he will go and play in these uh, local legal tournaments and without telling the clubs because if you tell the clubs you'll be fined you're injured there's no you know uh, yeah. help from that side but they will go and play on these things also so they had Brilliant. so much game time although the level was not great because your our coaching was a little behind i would think i just hope mm. that right now if that was a case it would have been amazing but with you know photos and everything can <laughs> anybody can play all these smaller leagues but those are uh, interesting ones I'm, yeah i'm sure i heard lucy talk about this there was a book they had to get yes. stamped or something yeah, right so that's really interesting I, he, he was playing you know 60 70 games a year and you just like can't get your head around it how players now are playing 20 games a season it's just it's not enough football but they'll they'll get there they need to need to figure out a better schedule and obviously you know i don't think the answer to playing each other three or four times is very exciting as well so they'll come up with something yeah musa had a funny incident also in kerala i think he was playing for the national team somewhere and uh, kerala fans had broken through the stands so the stands was full and they were sitting outside the the what do you call the boards right hoardings yeah. they all came and sat yeah. there so the teams went in but the opponent said it's fine we can play because it is a security risk concern so musa uh-huh. had to long go right so every time yeah, he, had to, right. he had to clean the ball so uh, you know kerala they wear the dhoti right the the thing at yeah. the you wear the dhoti and yeah. someone remove the dhoti and give it to him so that he can wipe the ball uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wipe brilliant the ball. <laughs> so, back to that's so good yeah yeah so it's wild back then yeah. i like doing these shows because you get to hear all these stories and then you can tell others yeah 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 Uh, who absolutely usually it's the stuff off the field mate that you uh that you remember than rather than on the field so it's it's nice it's a nice memory you know yeah yeah so uh, i'll catch you soon eric thank you so much for your time yeah mate no worry sorry it took so long to get to you so hey, no i'll hope to see you in bangalore soon absolutely whenever you are here thanks andy